What is up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Actually, a lot to talk about this week, some of it industry-related and some of it not. Quick note, uh, there's actually two people who pointed out last uh, last week. There's a couple episodes where around the 25-minute mark, the master volume was just falling off because I have little to no experience producing these other than doing it in my kitchen. So I appreciate the heads up. That problem should be fixed. Uh, so any of you that listen past the 25-minute mark, that will no longer be an issue. Uh, just to dive, we're just going to dive right into things this week. We got a bunch to go over, like I said. Uh, had a great weekend watching some college football. Best time of the year. This time through really the first of the year to me is the best time of the year. College football is back. Huge football fan, obviously. Weather's a tad cooler, but still nice and warm. Not over overbearingly hot or humid. Very livable. Just nice breezes blowing. You can sit with the windows open. NFL starts back up this week for the hockey fans. Penguin season's right around the corner, and people are drinking tons of craft beer. Uh, so it's a great time of the year. It was just a nice, uh, nice day yesterday on Labor Day to just kind of sit and relax. Um, actually felt like a normal human being for once. Sat on the couch and read for a couple hours. Got to come in and cook some food for the week. For the second day in a row, got a nice workout in. On day 12 of the 45-day challenge now, for any of you who don't know what that is, check out Coach Feld. That's Coach F-E-L-D on Instagram. He's the Oregon football strength and conditioning coach. Super positive uh, guy with a uh, bicep and tricep workout challenge that's going that I think benefits the Special Olympics, so make sure and check that out. And uh, while you're at it, you get super big in the arms and fill the sleeves, which is a huge, uh, huge bonus. But enough of that, let's get right into what we want to talk about this week. Uh, first of all, we have Prairie Sours are back. Rainbow Sherbert, which I mentioned last week, is a huge hit for us this year. I'm pretty sure this is the last time we're going to get it. I know I said that the last time, about a month or so ago, uh, but it's just been so freaking popular. Uh, they wanted to crank out another batch. Traditionally, they only brew these in the summer. And they've told me this is the last batch, so that's as much as I know. I'm not trying to trick people into buying it or drive hype or anything. Uh, but we went hard on the Prairie Sours for the last time uh, to sneak them in before the end of summer. The Blueberry Boyfriend is also back. That's going to be a sour that a lot of uh, traditional sour drinkers, I think, a little bit less mainstream, but more of a hit with the traditional sour drinkers. That's obviously a Blueberry Sour. That's back in cans and draft. Those released Friday. Coming up this week... We're going to have the, uh, the Pink Guava Funk back in draft for the first time in a while, I think since late spring. Uh, that's another one that, tr- that the traditional sour drinkers are really going to enjoy. Uh, and then one last batch of the Karate Chimp. That one released, though, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. That one was a huge hit, a little bit more mainstream along the lines of the Rainbow Sherbet, uh, but all just incredible sours. In general, Prairie has been absolutely on fire for us lately. Um, not that I didn't see it coming. I guess I didn't partially. They make incredible beer. Their sours have always been on point. Their stouts have been absolutely incredible. Uh, but with the, with the Rainbow Sherbert and the Karate Chimp this year, they just hit that perfect note of great sour and really mainstream, easy, drinkable, like not too intimidating, great intro sours. But they hit a great combo of those this year, uh, and they've just been flying for us. Can't say enough about that brewery. And with the All Y'all New England IPA that was kind of a limited batch they came out with two, three weeks ago, they really stepped their hazy game up. Uh, So over the next six, 12 months, I see some big things for Prairie 
Uh, we're seeing lots and lots of growth uh, with them, which is awesome. Great people, great beer. Uh, so that's really nice to see. Something that some of you probably aren't expecting, and I probably wasn't either until a couple weeks ago, Separatist is coming back, formerly Soul, rebranded uh, about a year ago as Separatist Beer Project. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for this. One is they've lowered their price point, which is huge, makes it accessible not only to new bars, but really a lot more accessible price point-wise when you're drinking at the bar. Uh, and really, we're going to narrow down and just hone in on what they do well. I think we got away from that a little bit uh, when we were bringing them in previously, but it's incredibly good beer. Uh, the, the two that we're bringing in, they're both going to release Friday. On draft to start, we're going to kind of see how the response is draft-wise. Like I said, it's incredibly good beer. It's just going to be interesting to see how much people latch onto it. Uh, as with everything else, I'd be super excited to have your feedback, not only on what you think now of them coming back, but once you get to try the beers. The two that we are going to start with, bringing them back, the Good Good is their double IPA. I'm going to look up the exact description of it here. Separate beer, Good Good. This one we've had before. Uh, and it was one of their more popular ones after the rebrand. Re it's a wonderfully hazed out new school double IPA. Pale yellow with a cloudy head that leaves creamy lacing. The mouthfeel is pillowy and resinous with a soft lingering bitterness. Big fruity punches of citrus, peach, and pineapple play with pings and pangs of spruce sap, spearmint, hemp, and heady dankness. The finish is straight hop resin that lingers long after each sip. I never buy into descriptions they get that wordy much. Point is, it's going to be a really fucking good citrusy, uh, resiny IPA. Comes in at 8%, 60 IBUs, so hopefully a nice balance. I've had this one before, uh, but can't really recall off the top of my head other than I really liked it. I really like their hazy stuff, uh, their hoppy stuff. So that one's coming back. And then the Separatist Cream Ale is also coming back. Let me see if it's even worth bringing up a... Yeah, the classic cream it is called. It's a 4.2%. It's a quintessential American cream ale made for drinking anytime, any day. Compromise of Bohemian Pilsner Malt and Flaked Maize. Hopped gently with Haller Tower. Then fermented low and slow for three weeks with a very cool ale strain. This beer is crisp and easy drinking as they come. Really excited for this one because this one's going to be... I guess not even just excited for it, but excited for feedback because this is going to be a pure price point play. Uh, it this one I've never had from them. Supposed to be a really good uh, cream ale, really easy drinking. I know it's a style that has started to come back a little bit, especially there's been a lot of, uh, I don't want to say craze, but a lot of people, uh, I guess in the industry especially, drinking Jenny cream ale. Uh, but this is one that we're going to try and get some permanent lines with that is just going to be more of a go-to just got off, you know, it's a Friday night. You don't necessarily want to delve into like four Imperial IPAs or stouts right off the bat if you're going to be drinking, uh, that you can just crush a couple of these. Like I said, though, open to feedback of what you guys think initially and uh, also after you guys get to try the stuff. So those are launching Friday. Obviously, you'll see some more uh, on our social media about those. But like I said, feel free to give feedback. New one from Single Cut that launched Friday is the Jackknife Juggernaut. Probably the first time in two or three weeks that we've had a new can from them uh, in 16-ounce cans. I'll read the description again. Like an interstellar burst hopped exclusively with our favorite new crop buds from New Zealand and inspired by our green plastic watering cans, which I have to say was one of my favorites they did. Tropical but with immense depth, a blend of warm mango and soft ripe papaya. Dole Whip, 
peppery citrus, juicy Sauvignon Blanc grapes, sticky guava resin, and a long, beautiful linger of guava candy, all wrapped up in a round and creamy body. A new fave, 7%, a little bit cheaper than their traditional doubles. Uh, again, excited for this one. Going to do an uh, Instagram review on it this week. Like I said, though, I would like someone to be able to describe to me what guava candy actually tastes like, much less than a beer. Having said that, their shit, especially their hazy shit, is always super, super good. So happy uh, that we have a new one from them. That released Friday, so you should see it out now uh, more and more through the week. But everything's going to be in and out within a week, so get that one while you can. We are also getting a fresh batch of Weird and Gilly and 18 Watt in both uh, draft and cans that is on its way to Pittsburgh as we speak. Uh, like I said with these core beers, the Weird and Gilly, the Hop Sounds, the 18 Watt, those three especially, if you're seeing that, even on shelves, there's almost no way that it's more than three or four weeks old. If you see it, it's got a date. It says that it's older than that. Let us know. We'll get you, we'll get you some fresher beer. We'll get you a hoodie or a T-shirt for letting us know uh, so we can kind of address that problem. But I'm pretty damn confident in the fact that these beers, just we get them so often and so fresh so quickly from the brewery that they should be super, super fresh. Uh, so fresh batches of that stuff heading out into the market uh, probably Thursday or Friday, just in time for this coming weekend. Also releasing this week is the single cut, inexplicably used umlaut. This is a fall classic that gets our full effort with true lagering, cold condition for three months as per German tradition in our horizontal lagering tanks, resulting in an evolved and beautiful, beautifully elegant fusion of toffee, malt, clean finish, and flawless hot balance. This is the single cut fest beer. It is a 6% fest beer. Didn't get too, too much of that. Uh, a few pallets of kegs. That's one I'm also excited to try. I've never had anything kind of in that ballpark from uh, from Single Cut. Had their Amber, the Dean Mahogany that I enjoyed. Um, you know, we don't get too heavily into the seasonals. Obviously, we have the, the Blake's Apple Lantern, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, but we don't have too many Oktoberfest beers. Uh, but, you know, we trust Single Cut with everything they do because their, their stuff is just so, so good. Uh, so with, as with a lot of our new stuff, excited to try that one. You should start to see it out at bars. You know, this is recording Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, there's a couple places that have gotten it. Uh, but heading into this weekend and next, you'll start to see it actually hit taps as uh, bars clear some space for it. Another one that's releasing this, this coming week is the Odd Side Peanut Butter Cup. And when I say we don't get too much into seasonals, we really don't um, in terms of straight fest, you know, October fest beers and pumpkin beers and, and spice beers at Christmas time. Uh, but we do try and match up styles for the year as we get into fall. I'm a huge stout guy, as you guys that listen or watch me on Instagram or everything know. Uh, this seasonal favorite is a stout brewed with chocolate, peanut butter, and lactose. It hosts a chocolate and peanut butter party in your mouth. Comes in at 7%. This one's going to be draft only from odd side. But, uh, you know, I, I have high, high hopes for this one, as I said, as a stout fan. Uh, but not only that, 7%. I love a good, flavorful, drinkable, drinkable stout. Uh, that you can just put down at 7% and you can have three or four. As much as I love these Imperial Stouts, you, know, you have a 16-ounce can, a lot of these, especially if you're out at a bar or a 16-ounce draft, you're just rocked. Uh, and that's kind of it, at least for that stout. Um, so I'm glad that we're getting one that's a little bit more approachable from odd side. This one is not releasing until Friday. You'll start to probably see it hit drafts, not this coming weekend, uh, but the weekend after. Uh, but we'll do our best, as with everything, to kind of keep that one updated on social media. That's basically it for what's coming uh, 
this week. There's a couple of things I want to address from last week or just in general, and then a couple of other things that I want to get into. The first thing is the Blake's Apple Lantern. There was a logistical issue, I guess, is the nice and simple way to put it. It was not on our end because we care about our products. We care about our customers, and uh, we get stuff in and out. Uh, So it's nothing like that. It was just the brewery is just growing at such a rapid pace, which is great. I guess brewery, cidery, it's everything right now. Uh, is growing at such a rapid pace, which is great for them. Uh, you know, I'd like to think we play a, a small part in that, but they're just firing on all cylinders, and they're, they just added a million-dollar canning line that I got to see when I was, when I was up there for the uh, Wholesale Summit week and a half ago, uh, which was an incredible piece of machinery. Uh, and even with that, they're just cranking as fast as they can. So the Fido did release on time last week. The Apple Lantern is going to be a week or two um, not that there's anything super wrong with that. It is a pumpkin, so mid to late September is not going to be the end of, world, end of the world for that. Uh, but just a small snafu. Like I said, not the end of the world. We will keep you guys updated on when that one is coming. Uh, and then the festival. There's not a ton of updates. You know, we're still, what, three and a half weeks out from the festival. You know, the two podcasts, or maybe next week, we'll really start to get into the meat of the festival. We're working hard as shit right now to, to finalize two or three of these breweries that haven't been in the market that we're trying to bring in just for the festival. I would hope within the next week we're going to finalize all that. We're going to have a final list out to you guys. Uh, but the stuff we've mentioned so far is going to be here. You know, the main dinner, the Prairie Pirate Paradise, the Equilibrium stuff, the Jester King, all that. Um, but in terms of, like, final, final stuff, um, you know, we hope that in the next week or so we can just nail down a final beer list we're going to probably release, uh, do like two separate releases of 10 tickets each just to kind of hit um, as it starts to fill up, give people some last-minute opportunities to come in there and snag some tickets. But the main thing I want to address is I'm sure some of you saw if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram is that someone tried to call and get us shut down. And I think it's worth a quick note. This is one of the more, uh, I don't even know the right word, flattering things that's happened to me in the last year or so. Uh, there's been a couple others. Uh, But it's nice to have a little reminder that you're just whipping people's ass when it comes to craft beer and um, and really just killing it. And you can't say enough about our team that's helping not only put these uh, events together, but our team, especially just everybody involved, not the, the sales team. They have to go out and every day I know as craft beer fans, you think, man, everybody wants this stuff. But when you have to walk into Bob's Beer Barn, which isn't a place, but, you know, Tom Smith's bar that may be a little bit divey or hasn't gotten super into craft, it can be a real effort uh, to try and get them into higher-end, really good craft beer. Uh, It seems easy, but it's not. Uh, So you have to give our team, our sales team, a ton of credit for just absolutely grinding. And some of the success we've had is just crazy lately. Can't give enough credit to them. You know, our warehouse and our delivery team, uh, the amount of work, especially with as flexible and agile as we like to be every day, we go next day delivery for a lot of or for basically everybody uh, to get beer in and out as fresh as possible. You're working with you know we're working with suppliers that are shipping beer on a Monday, that's landing on a Wednesday, that's got to start getting out of the warehouse Thursday night. I mean, it's not an easy task, uh, and it's nice when when we as a team get these flattering. Uh, flattering things like someone trying to get in our way and cancel a festival uh, because it really lets us know that we're doing something right. 
Uh, so to the fuck boy who, who or fuck girl, I guess, usually the fuck boy applies, uh, that tried to cancel the festival, just know, and this is a, the example that I always like to use, is the Grinch that stole Christmas. It's a movement, man. And you can take the Christmas ham, and you can take the Christmas tree or the gifts, but we're still going to be outside the fucking town caroling on Christmas Day because it's a movement and you can't stop it. And the festival's still happening, and it's going to be a great freaking time. Uh, that's about all I'm going to say on that. But I have to say I'm not even mad. I was thrilled. I really, honest to God, was thrilled. Uh, it got me going Thursday because we are on the right path here. And uh, like I said, can't thank our team enough because they've been absolutely grinding and cannot thank all you guys enough because we've had some awesome, not only support with people buying uh, tickets to the festival, but just kind of some of the people that have reached out and, and nice things that they've said and uh, just it's, it's humbling. And really the most, one of the more humbling things that I've experienced, the, probably the two of the, the, the most humbling things I've experienced with Steel City in the last three and a half years is people coming to the secret stashes that we do behind the warehouse uh, and it's just different when you see people physically handing you money for beer. I don't know what it is. It's just crazy. And the, you know, the amount of beer that we sold at the last one, especially. Um, and then this people buying tickets, sitting on the Eventbrite page and watching the ticket orders come in. And it's one of the reasons that I want to, you know, add a few more tickets and let a few, few more people, uh, into the festival and able to come. It's just so humbling, especially when we sold like 40 tickets in the first 10 minutes. I know there's other festivals that have sold thousands in the first time. It's all this is the first time we've done it. We're doing a little festival at the warehouse, um, and it's just incredibly humbling. So I can't thank you guys enough. The one thing I will say is uh, we're working with the city actually just to make everything more run a little bit more smoothly on uh, blocking off the street or at least a portion of the block in front of the warehouse and hosting a portion of it out there, get some music, some food, just making an actual like, kind of street festival. So we're going to finalize that in the next week or so, as well as finalize uh, the actual list of breweries. There's a couple crazy whale breweries that we're just trying to freaking get. I'm scratching and clawing and doing everything I can, including volunteering to drive to these freaking breweries, pick up a few cases and bring them back. Um, so that's kind of what's causing, I don't want to say delay, but why we haven't put out final lists of everything yet, because we're working our ass off to try and get the best list possible of stuff that you cannot get anywhere else and have the best festival possible. Um, so it's not because of anything but hard work. That's all for the festival this week. Like I said, as we get closer, maybe not next week, we're still about three and a half weeks out. So I think we've got three episodes of uh, the podcast before the festival. We're really going to get into the, the meat and potatoes of it, maybe have Mary on and talk a little bit about helping us, uh, what's leading up to the festival to give you some more insight on that. Um, but that's when we'll really get into the nitty gritty leading up to the festival. The one other beer thing I wanted to hit this week uh, was, as I'm sure a lot of you read, Pete from the Independent, uh, Independent Brewing Company, which is if not the best beer bar, one of the best beer bars in Pittsburgh easily wrote a blog post on their website kind of talking about Acts 39 and the, uh, the acquisition of Platform by Anheuser-Busch InBev. And it was something that I touched on in general, not the Acts 39 part, but the acquisition in general uh, a couple, ah, two, three weeks ago. And, you know, as I said, it's time for Platform. You know, you get your money, you can't knock that. Uh, I'll, you'll never hear me knocking someone for, for getting money for, for hard work and how hard it is to get to that point. In terms of what Pete wrote and the Act 39 thing, 
you know, I respect the hell out of Pete, uh, probably as much as anyone, if not more than anyone, in the local beer scene. Um, that guy's just done so much for beer locally that it's incredible. Um, basically, the gist of the article or the, the blog post that he wrote, excuse me, was that uh, one of the reasons that Bud bought Platform was because they're opening a brew pub in Pittsburgh. And when you open a brew pub in Pittsburgh where you brew on site, you now become a local brewery. And that opens you up to a lot more things. Ability to go to farmer's markets, ability to go more festivals, all this different stuff. I don't want to get too into the details of it or into the, the technicalities, but the gist that I got from it was they get to act like a local brewery now, right? They get to go to festivals and say, hey, this is platform beer brewed right over in East Pittsburgh. And, you know, I'm all about supporting local business. I really am. But at a certain point, the market never lies. Okay? In any business, the market never lies. If you have, and, and this is, I'm going to paint a, a wide generalization here, and that's probably the wrong thing to do. But if you have a lesser product at a higher cost, it's not going to sustain very long in the market. In the long run, it is not going to sustain. That's just how business works. And for a large portion of local breweries, that's what we have. A lesser product at higher prices. And trust me, it's a tough enough hill to climb when you have an incredible product at, at higher prices. I live it every day. But it's a fight we fight because it's a great product. Uh, and people support it. But when you talk about a lot of the local breweries, they get by on being local. Now, this excludes people like Brew Gentlemen and Dancing Gnome and Grist House and Cinderlands. They just brew incredible beer. But there are a middle and bottom tier of local breweries that produce not great beer. And they've gotten by on being local. That's it. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. They're not going to go out of business tomorrow. But that trend's not going to last. And we've lived in a fairy tale, candy land like existence of a lot of these places. They're living in a fantasy world. Like, I feel bad quoting Step Brothers with a serious topic, but they're living in a fantasy world um, where growth has slowed. They don't know what to do. And the beer's not great. And the reason I say this is because. Uh, you know, the whole thing with Act 39 that I took from it was how are we going to differentiate platform from the local beer if Bud is allowed to, to not only project it as a local beer or promote it as a local beer, but get a lot of the advantages that other local breweries get. And to that, I will say, you know, it shouldn't matter for the most part where it's brewed. The reason I go to Grist House and support Grist House is because I know the people there. I... A lot of my friends go there. They have good product, and it's a fun time to hang out. But when I go to the store itself, if, now, if Chris House isn't available much in cans out at stores, but if it was, I'd buy it. But when I go to the store and I see, oh, boy, I, I don't even want to use our own products because it sounds disingenuous, but you see an Evil Twin Imperial Stout or an Imperial Stout from a local brewery that I don't enjoy, that I know the beer is average at best, I'm not going to, whether it's my product or not, I'm not going to then buy the, the local product, even though it's not as good, just because it's local. The point of this is, it's not going to sustain. You can't get by on just being local. 
There are some breweries that have done exceedingly well. I mean, Brew Gentleman makes some of the best beer in the world. Dancing Gnome, Grist House makes good stuff. Cinderlands is doing some incredible stuff. Those breweries have gotten by on being amazing. There's a lot that haven't. And if Platform is able to come in and knock a few of those off because they're owned by Bud, I don't want to see it. As much as I don't love some of these average and below average locals, I don't want to see it. But I think we all need to be very realistic about how business and, and economics work. It's going to happen. Uh, I support Pete and everything that he's done for some of these local breweries. And I support some of, this, some of these local breweries because they have brought, and I've said this before, they have brought so much positive publicity uh, to this city and as a beer scene. When we first started three and a half years ago, I'm not joking. We would email some of these, these breweries that we've ended up bringing in, these world-class breweries, and I'd be like, come to Pittsburgh. They'd be like, what? What the hell is in Pittsburgh? And it's a lot easier now because all of the national recognition that places like Brew Gentlemen and Dancing Gnome and all these places have gotten, and it's made our life uh, a lot easier with bringing in new breweries, and our portfolio wouldn't look like it does without them. Uh, so I don't want to knock the great ones. I just wanted to put in my two cents there that it's, it's coming for a lot of these. The, the, the day of reckoning is coming for a lot of the below average local breweries in the next year or two. Um, and it's sad to see. I don't want to. Well, it is what it is, I guess, is the nice way of putting it. But uh, it's just happening. It's just the way business is. And we've had, I think everybody in the industry knows right now, and you can definitely see it on the street, that there's just too many suppliers. And the people that aren't investing a lot of resources, time and money into uh, improving their brewery and growing it, and the people that aren't putting out great liquid, or at least one of the two, uh, aren't going to be long for this world. Um, but huge props to Pete for putting that out because I think it broke it down for people um, that maybe aren't as entrenched in the laws and in the industry to really see what the effects were um, in terms of the, you know, the buying decisions they make and just... Stuff behind the scenes. I wish I was as eloquent as Pete to be able to to give people a look behind the scenes and what all these these things really mean. Um, but I just wanted to touch on that because I thought it was really well done by Pete, and uh, it, w- it would have been a shame if I didn't at least mention it. One other thing, a lot more positive that I wanted to mention this week is I've been really in. I mentioned it on Instagram a couple of times. I've been really into these. Uh, I don't even know how to food tech books. Future of food books. Uh, I'm really fascinated um, with where agriculture and our food supply is going. And this is a weird tangent, but where it's going over the next 10, 20, and even 50 years, um, irregardless of why you think the climate's changing, it just is, um, and how that kind of affects agriculture, and that kind of combined with the fact that the world is overpopulated. We can't naturally feed so you know this many people. Um, and just so, so many of the advances that we've seen in technology and how they have kind of started to spill over into agriculture and food in general. And it's been really interesting because before I started reading these books, when I heard the terms GMOs or you know food tech, I automatically thought, you know, bad stuff or you know it was gonna be fake food or GMOs were gonna cause cancer or whatever. But it's been super enlightening. I'll post, uh, if you missed them, a couple more pictures on my Instagram story, a couple of these books. The one was kind of that textbook I got. But even that one's kind of been super interesting to read through. Um, so it's awesome. I just, uh, 
when I say I got to sit down and cook and read yesterday like a normal person, I started reading this book called The Fate of Food. I got it a couple weeks ago with the other one, uh, but I'm about 100 or so pages in, uh, and it's called, like I said, The Fate of Food, What We'll Eat in a Bigger, Hotter, Smarter World, um, and it's really actually really enlightening, and uh, I hate to sound like a nerd, and I hate that I even have to preface it like that, but um, you know, I think it's awesome to read because you're getting to borrow someone else's brain. Um, you know, you, I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube to educate myself. I'll read a lot of articles on Twitter, but just sitting down and reading, um, I think is an awesome way to, uh, to really just build your intelligence and build your knowledge of the world and what's going on. And I have to say, I feel there's not a lot of times that I feel book smart, but having started to read some of these books, I feel like I have a really good grasp on this subject in general and just kind of like what goes it gives you a, a crazy appreciation I, like I was cooking food yesterday and I was cooking brown rice and one of the chapters in the spate of food book was talking about rice and how they're trying to make it easier to grow in countries like India Bangladesh and how hard it is and how little they sustain themselves on not only eating as a population but how little these farmers have to sell every year and how much how little money they make off it and I'm sitting there cooking like three cups of rice that's going to last me two days like, holy shit, man. So it's just kind of like the knowledge. I just felt the need to kind of throw that in there because I think it's an awesome thing. I kind of fell off. We got so busy. Not that that's an excuse for a couple of months um, that I kind of fell off the reading thing a little bit. But I kind of I'm on the uh, the reading crusade again, trying to be positive and get other people into it. But uh, if you haven't gotten into food tech, there's some crazy shit going on. Even just Google it and read a couple articles. Uh, stuff that will like really blow your mind and kind of change your perspective or just give you a new appreciation for what you're eating. And I'm actually really excited for one other book. Uh, there's a new book that I can't remember the writer of, but it is a year with uh, Michigan football and Jim Harbaugh. I'm going to Google it real quick. Um, and it just released, I believe, today. It's called Overtime. Uh, Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines at, a, at the crossroads of college football. Uh, John U. Bacon is the writer. Um, and it's a riveting chronicle of Michigan, Jim Harbaugh era, and an unprecedented look, unprecedented look at the inner workings uh, of a big-time college football program. Really excited for that. Back in the day, I read it about once a year, Meat Market by Bruce Feldman, followed Old Miss, Ed Orgeron at Old Miss. That dude's a legend, another book I really love. Don't know why I went off on a five-minute book tangent, reading tangent, um, but I think it is a great thing to read. And I think if you haven't, like I said, if you haven't gotten into this food tech stuff, at least Google a couple articles because the shit will blow your mind. Uh, big week coming up for Steel City. We have been incredibly busy. Uh, oh, the one other thing I want to touch on, I had a couple of people ask me about events this week uh, or over the past weekend, I should say. I know we haven't done any events the last two or three or four weeks. I had a couple people ask me why, and the simple, easy answer to that is because we don't want to do them just to do them. We want to make sure that we have like killer beer uh, and a reason to do them, like a good reason. So you'll probably see a couple events that Friday night leading up to our festival uh, because we'll have some of that crazy stuff in stock. Uh, but we want to make sure that if we do events, we're giving you a, like a real reason to come out, right? We don't want to just say like, hey, come out. We got the new Evil Twin Stout. Um, that's just, you know, we're going to have 60 cases of and everybody can get it. Uh, we don't want to do stuff like that. Uh, we want to make sure that we're doing top level, high end, like good events. 
uh, that are worth doing. So I just wanted to address that. It's not that we're not trying or don't care. Uh, it's just a matter of what we can bring in, what we have access to. And uh, like I said, you'll start to see them around the festival. And I would assume you'll see uh, a few killer ones leading up and through the holidays because that's when people um, you know, really start putting out some crazy stuff in terms of beer. Uh, so just wanted to address that. We are not getting lazy, anything but that. Uh, but we have been grinding. Like I said, can't give enough credit to our team. Uh, they've been a huge reason for a lot of our success lately. Can't stop us. We're on a freaking roll. Uh, we got some big, one big, big project on, in the works. Uh, probably not going to come to fruition until spring. Unfortunately, that's about all I can say till, about it until spring. Uh, but just know that we're, uh, we're about five steps ahead of where you think we're at right now and always working and grinding nonstop to, uh, to raise the level of beer and beverages in this city. If there is anything else you guys want to know, as always, feel free to reach out. Uh, people have actually been reaching out. It's nice to know that a few people listen to this, uh, that I'm not just talking into my computer uh, for 30 minutes every Tuesday night. I will say I didn't think I'd get to 27 episodes. Uh, at some point here over the next month or so, I really want to start to take this podcast to the next level, start to do some more interviews. I think the couple that we've done were really, really good content. Um, not that this isn't great content, but just mix it up, a little bit of change up there. Uh, and really want to start riveting up, or ratcheting up, I should say, the video content that I'm doing as well. Um, but I think we've got a nice foundation here. So I can't, can't uh, say how much I appreciate you guys not only listening, but supporting craft beer. Come to our events, come to our festival. If there's anything that I can do for you guys to make your life easier, anything you want to know about craft beer, stuff that's coming out. If you see stuff on Instagram that Evil Twin or Omnipol or whoever posts, always feel free to, to reach out and ask if it's coming. Whatever you guys need. Uh, it's been a super humbling couple of weeks here, and anything I can do to help you guys out in return, uh, I'm more than happy to do. As always, enjoy your weeks, have a great week, and uh, enjoy some great beer. Yeah.